400 years had passed since the last prophecy was written in the Word of God. 600 years since Gabriel's last mission, mission to visit Daniel, delivering a message of hope, the promise of justice. 700 years since Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be a wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. And many, 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 many years before that, the first gospel promise, the Protoevangelium, it's called in Latin, Genesis 3, verse 15, when Yahweh, Yahweh gives judgment over the serpent and the promise in the garden, the curse of mankind because of Adam's sin and God's provision for a Savior from that sin who would take the curse upon himself and crush the serpent Satan. And so it had been a very, very long time. Indeed, as we've studied in Romans since before the foundations of the world, and at just the right time, Romans 5, 6, God sent his son to deliver hope. Hope incarnate, hope in flesh. And here we have in this account by Dr. Luke, six months after Gabriel's good news for Zachariah and Elizabeth, the angel greets young Mary, saying, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now look at her reaction. Her reaction is understandable. It's not every day that an angel speaks to you. And so it says that she is greatly troubled. The angel says, You will miraculously conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, which means God saves. He will be great. He will be the son of God in the lineage of King David and will take the throne as the king of kings and the Lord of lords forever. You are going to be the mother of the Messiah, Mary. That's God's purpose for your life. He is the one for whom God's people have waited, and indeed all creation itself has been waiting for all time. It's the most amazing promise, an amazing gift. God sending his son to rescue God in human flesh. This promise comes to a godly girl in humble circumstances, in a small, insignificant place, a tiny corner of the world. Mary, you will be the mother of the Messiah. How does she take this news? Betrothed to be married to Joseph, this was not good news. Maybe for a married woman, unable to bear a child like her cousin Elizabeth, maybe for her, but but for Mary, the social stigma, the trouble that she was in, how would she take this gift? Yeah, even though she couldn't understand all of what the promise about her child was to mean, I think she sensed the hope embedded in the words of the angel. She heard Gabriel saying, Mary, you are part of God's story. This is your chapter. The Bible says, Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hope, like faith, is strengthened by the word of God. J.I. Packer says this, the written word of the Lord leads us to the living Lord of the word. And our attitude to him 
is effectively our choice of destiny. So we don't have angels coming and interrupting our morning uh, oatmeal, but we have God's word delivering his promise to us. Hope comes from reading God's promises and looking to Christ who purchased them and relying on the Holy Spirit who secures them. So what do we do when we're in hard times? Well, when, when problems of life are coming my way, I pick up God's word. And I read the Bible, and I wait for the Spirit to make things clear to me. And the Holy Spirit speaks. I, I, I don't say audibly, I don't say that I always understand what he's saying, but I can hear God's voice in the midst of those troubling times. If we just listen and we can ask for more clarity, and I do all the time. I just was uh, this weekend. God, please make this clear. This is a confusing time. Bring light. Bring more understanding. And so what Mary did next is very understandable. She asked for clarity. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's simply impossible. And Gabriel tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Still confusing. Still mysterious. God doesn't give us all the answers we want. We still question. We still want details. We want a timetable. We want to know for certain when and where it's going to happen. And God says, no. He says, trust me. Trust in the promises I have given to you. And be patient. And there's a certain posture that we need to have to be patient, to wait on the Lord. And oftentimes when we think about that posture, we think, okay, hands clenched like this and heads bowed. That, that's, a, that's a posture of, of, of prayer, certainly. But, but listen to this. This is a quote from Leif Anderson I thought it was very interesting about the posture needed to patiently wait in hope. He writes, he says, uh, in his book, Sabbatical Journeys, Henry Nowen, is a very famous uh, Catholic priest and, and great Christian writer, describes the relationship between the flyer and the catcher in a circus trapeze performance. The flyer lets go of the trapeze and flies through the air high above the audience. During his interviews, Nelwyn learned that it's important that the flyer holds that position while making the dangerous journey through the air to the catcher. One of the famous flying rondellas that, that he interviewed told him this, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must trust the catcher will catch. It's like that with us and God. It's not that we have to catch the Holy Spirit grasping like this. <laughs> it's that the Spirit catches us. So what's our posture to be? Grasping? Flailing like a wily kind of... No. Hands up. Waiting. But what about the hang time? What about the hang time? 
How long will we have to be outstretched, waiting to be caught? Mary had to wait a very long time, didn't she? A scandal grew as the holy baby grew inside her. She wasn't married. The risk intensified for both the child and mother. She had to journey to Elizabeth to fully believe with her own eyes, and then nine months of pregnancy, and then the hope of the world would be born. But her posture would continue to be outstretched. She continued to rely on the Holy Spirit as she and Joseph raised Jesus until he was grown and baptized and began his ministry to fulfill his mission some 30-plus years on. And she would continue to be in that posture as she watched her Lord die as she saw the empty tomb, as she saw him ascend, as she worshipped with the believers in the city. When you face hardship and struggle, it can be hard to keep hope alive. It can feel like you're straining to keep that posture of trust. It can seem logical to grab hold onto whatever seems handy and sturdy at the time, This is it, or this is it. But Paul writes in Romans 8.24, This hope is where we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We talked about that a number of weeks ago, that eager patience and that patient eagerness. It's all about our, our posture towards a circumstance that we can, we can derail, we can mess up what God's trying to do when we're doing this, when we're flailing. G.K. Chesterton writes, Hope means hoping when things are hopeless, or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is merely flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. Nelson Mandela, one of the world's most revered figures, a hero of peace and justice, died Thursday. Imprisoned in South Africa for 27 years, 18 of those years, forced into hard labor on windswept Robben Island. He rose from prisoner to president, leading his nation from 1994 to 1999. I imagine many of you have have read about the triumphs over apartheid and his election in South Africa as the first black president, overcoming his oppressors and then including them in his leadership. But what about his faith? We don't hear nearly enough about his Christian faith In his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom, Mandela wrote of his hope in God. Weeks before his historic election, he spoke to a church's Easter conference, praising God, saying, Each Easter marks the rebirth of our faith. It marks the victory of our risen Savior over the torture of the cross and the grave. Mandela spent 27 Easter's behind bars. And in that time, he was transformed. He gave up a way of violence for an agenda of nonviolence and racial reconciliation. It was his hope in God that transformed him. 
John Stott writes this, Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. The victory over sin and death, our sin, the crushed evil one has come now to Nelson Mandela as surely as it will come to anyone who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're not patient people, especially when we're in most need. Isn't that something? When we are in most need is when we are the least patient. We're to wait on God's timetable, not our own, and we're to be confident and have an open posture to the Spirit while waiting. Instead, in our impatience, we think, Lord, couldn't your purpose come in an easier way? In a way that I can understand? Couldn't you get this done according to my timetable? What makes sense to me? But if you believe in an infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing God, then you believe that he has infinite means and infinite knowledge. He has no bounds and no limits and no purpose as high as his own glory and honor. And so if you believe the God revealed in Scripture, then there's bound to be mysteries. There are going to be happenings that are above your pay grade to understand or comprehend. This shouldn't be a problem for your faith. It ought to be a proof for our faith. The mystery of the virgin birth, far from a problem, proves the worthiness of the one true living sovereign God. When somebody asks you, do you really believe Jesus was born of a virgin? You say, absolutely. With God, all things are possible. I believe in a God revealed in Scripture who is boundless, infinite. Not in one that we can always understand. No. Can't. And then you become God's messenger just as Gabriel was a messenger to Mary. But if we question and doubt God's promises, if we try to hedge our bets, if our posture is flailing arms, well then we have a small, manageable God who plays by our rules instead of the glorious, untainable God who alone is worthy of praise. Mary's response is very helpful here for our own response to the gospel. Trust in God's timing and planning, friends. That's what Mary did. She submitted to God in hope. And then she received that confirmation when she saw her cousin. And then she was able to sing a song of praise. Friends, do not discount your privileges as a child of God. As a favored one of God. John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The Savior of the world has come to earth. The purpose of our life is to glorify and enjoy him forever. Whatever your troubles, hope in Jesus Christ. Right now, put your hope in him. He came to lay his life down for you. How will he not also see you through whatever troubles you are in. And finally, this quote from Joni Erickson Tata. She writes, 
The best we can hope for in this life is a knothole peak of the shining realities ahead. Yet a glimpse is enough. It's enough to convince our hearts that whatever sufferings and sorrows currently assail us aren't worthy of comparison to that which waits over the horizon. And that echoes the words of 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God has revealed himself in historical acts, supremely in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who condescend to come to this earth, to this tiny, insignificant corner of the world. The Christian life is the best life you can live because God loves you and has given you a purpose and he has a plan that he wishes to reveal to you if we but listen to him. When God speaks of doing the impossible, it's no longer absurd. When was the last time God spoke the impossible into your life? When was the last time you heard the word of God and discerned God's plans for your life? There are so many social pressures on young people today, young Christians in particular. But if Mary can say yes to God, even though it was going to be a, a scandal and there'd be that social stigma, then surely our young people can say no to the social pressures and honor the Lord and trust in his plan for their life. May we respond as Mary did, saying, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. And as we pray, and invite you to be in a posture of prayer, that could be your hands up, it could just be your hands open in your lap. I'm going to read to us from the Word of God, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, a promise from our Father. I want you to listen to these words and meditate on them and claim these promises for yourself, for the person to your right or left, for that, that difficult circumstance that you're in. The prophet writes these words. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I want you to open your hands and don't look at your bulletin and don't look at your watch and just listen for the Lord to speak that the Lord our God is in our midst. He is the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And he will quiet you, quiet your spirit, quiet your mind that's racing right now. He promises to quiet you by his love. And he will exalt over you with loud singing. And so God, with an open posture, 
one of eager patience and patient eagerness, we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come and do that good work in our lives. We need to put our hope in something that's durable and lasting. Everyone needs hope, Lord, but you are the one true great hope, and so we renew our hope in you. In our faith, what is sure to come. And so, God, we give to you now in this quiet moment. We release to you those great concerns and burdens and worries of life. We pray, Lord, for your light to shine, to to open your scriptures up to us so we can plainly see what you'd have us to do and how you'd have us prioritize in our lives. And God, we listen to your encouragement and not to the false negativity and accusations around us and those voices that are in our heads. We want to listen to you. We want to reach out for you and wait for you to catch us. And so we pray this, Lord. We pray this for for ourselves, for our church. As we wait on you, we pray this, Lord, we claim it for our nation, for a world desperately in need of, of justice and peace, of rescue. You are our only hope. Your ways are mysterious far above our pay grade to try to comprehend, to try to put on a bumper sticker. And yet, Lord, we know that you alone are capable You are mighty. You are able to save. And God, we pray for this dear one who gives thanks to you for rescuing. And we pray this prayer again for this one who will face another need for you to come and intercede for the blessing of relationships. And we pray, Lord, for guidance for children, for raising kids, for guiding our children as they raise our grandchildren. God, we pray for our church. We ask you, Lord, to give us a spirit of unity and love and generosity and a strong leaning forward, Lord, trusting in you. And so we pray as you taught us, Lord Jesus, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.